everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ship Talk. I'm very excited today to be talking to James Borman, who's the founder of Cloud Speakers. For those of you who don't know James, James actually started as an emergency dispatch technician and actually jumped into technology as a DevOps engineer and an SRE, and even working at a continuous delivery firm. But James, for those of you, or for those of the listeners who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I have a background in SRE. Um, I'm neurodiverse, you know, um, I'm actually on the autism spectrum. And I have actually made a variety of pivots. Um, I started off when I, after I worked in DevOps for a while, I ended up pivoting from that into content writing. And that's where, you know, cloud speakers actually blossomed from. And now I'm doing content writing and creation for a variety of industries and basically just storytelling. And storytelling is quite, it's quite an important skill. I mean, it, it's, I'll kind of take the listeners back. I was thinking of a funny title, uh, what, what the call this podcast and had the opportunity to talk to you. I was going to say from paramedic to production, but being a paramedic is, is quite not accurate because you're uh, emergency dispatch, but uh, in your in your background, and we can start that. Uh, I think it's pretty pretty funny, or not funny, but ironic that you were literally getting calls for actual fires, and in the DevOps world and SRE world, we're like, oh, we have to go put on fires. Uh, but literally, you were receiving calls about fires um, and having to send people to actually put them out. Uh, so maybe we talk about that. What were some learnings you had as maybe a stressful situation as a dispatcher, and how does that how did that play into your DevOps and SRE roles that you had? Um, in a, very, a lot of very interesting ways. Um, communication skills, most of all. I think working as a dis- dispatch operator uh, definitely helps me communicate with other people a lot better. You know, um, one thing I learned dealing with high stress situations, uh, you know, there were times where I would all, you know, I would call people and as you said, you know, their houses would be in the process of burning down. And I think that that really taught me to learn to listen to people as opposed to try to talk to people. Um, Because, you know, in situations like that, uh, when, you know, you can't really, there's not much you can really say to someone to calm them down when their house is burning down. And, and a lot of times you can say too much. And that's one thing, you know, just listening to someone, letting them vent, letting them talk about their frustrations and just telling them things are going to be okay. Is that, that, I mean, obviously that doesn't translate directly over into DevOps, but just the, just the general concept of being a good listener has always has been a very beneficial trait. Yeah, that's very, very, very helpful. And it's a, it's a trait that's actually really hard. You know, when people ask you for help, uh, and this is, I've been going through this journey too. I, when, if I'm getting asked for help or an opinion, I would immediately start you know, kind of spewing everything that I know. It's like, oh yes, do this, this, and this, you know, like I didn't then do this step. And then I got burned here before. But that, that art of listening, it's really important, right? Like in sales training, or I spent some time in sales in my background, uh, the ability to listen to people, like first to kind of understand where they're coming from is pretty critical. I like how you said, if I called and said, my house is burning down, 
I didn't want you to, it, it was really ironic if you kept talking to me like, oh yes, just put some water on it. Like, no, <laughs> my house is burning down. Yeah. That's so, so funny. And it, I maybe help draw a parallel to uh, you know, being in, in DevOps is a movement, right? So there's no like one DevOps mm-hmm. product or DevOps switch. And a lot of times that it, it the, the rationale behind why a firm will invest in DevOps is because there's so much pain, right? It's like, oh, well, our, our developers are going to storm off or we're not, we're losing productivity because we're not agile enough. And a lot of times, I, and, you know, looking kind of at your background, as you start as a new DevOps engineer, how about you walk through the process of, I'm a brand new DevOps engineer. What would be some of the first steps that I took, you know, when, when parachuting into an organization? that you took oh that's a that's an interesting question um i definitely think yes um asking questions but listening is important um taking being able to take feedback uh you know interacting with peers is hard uh and i definitely think it's important as a new engineer to be able to ask as many questions as you can, you know, uh, just be able to be a sponge, like be a sponge and soak up as much information as you can. And, you know, I don't think that's that people, I, it's, it's a bit of a gray area, you know, whether you should be like doing learning on your own time. But, you know, if that's something you want to do, you know, that can never hurt you. Yeah, absolutely. And having the ability, it's always that people think that, you know, as a kid, you learn as a sponge and then the older you get, you know, that sponge is less absorbent (laughs) as time goes on. But in, especially in in newer fields, like being a DevOps engineer and SRE, there are a lot of emerging practices. And so you you just have to sit there and learn and draw on your, uh, draw on your expertise. Another question for you, James. So for folks who are just maybe getting into technology for the first time, maybe how did you how did you go from a uh, emergency dispatch technician to a DevOps engineer? Like it seems that's I mean for me that would be a really far jump, but uh, I'm curious to hear your story and ho- hope it can inspire others who are listening. So a lot of what I did was so I, I ended up self educating you know a lot with LinuxAcademy.com you know, a lot of the resources that are available out there now. And I think the biggest thing that shot me forward was my blogs, which is a lot of why I continue to blog these days and have, you know, been doing that full time. But uh, my blogging is one thing that really started getting noticed and uh, has gotten me quite a few job opportunities these days. That's, that's, okay. I don't think, I don't think, you know, I definitely am of, of the opinion that people should blog if they're passionate about it, but um, I don't think it can ever hurt. And that, and that hey, very, very good point, right? Like uh, how I like, how I learn is actually by teaching. There's just, there's like a German <laughs> word for it, like learner. I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> what, what the lear, learning, learner, it sounds like the word learn uh, in German. Um, it's basically uh, how I learn is by teaching other people. So if I put myself in their positions, like if I have to learn this, I should be able to teach it back. 
Um, it kind of structures how I learn in a certain way. I'm not sure if that's, you know, blogging. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, blogging isn't the only way of doing things these days. You know, uh, I know the, you know, I'm, I'm 28 now. And, you know, it seems like the younger Gen Z crowd is all about Twitch streaming and, um, and you know, like YouTube, creating YouTube videos. And, uh, you know, that there's, there's all, I think there's all kinds of ways to create content and learn while you're creating content. Perfect. Uh, another a harder thing to answer is something that it, it, it's, it, it, I think, I think you would have probably one of the best answers uh, out there is as an engineer, your accomplishments don't follow you around. Right. And so go, going firm to firm, I'll give you an example. A lot of what I worked on out of university was in the federal space. No one will ever see it unless you go to jail. <laughs> right. So it's interesting. It, and, and so no one really knew who Robbie Lockman is. Right. My resume might tell a story, but if you were to Google it, you will read about my love of Zaxby's. I really like that's just true. <laughs> I really, I know there's Zaxby's where you live. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> know what Zaxby's is. Um, I just love fried chicken. And, and but uh, building a brand uh, is important. And I think that you're doing it fairly well is that you were able to build a brand to get recognized, uh, to get into your first set of technology roles and furthering your technology career. But maybe you could talk about how does the average person even start building a brand and is it worth it or is it not worth it? I 100% believe it is worth it. Um, there was a, I, I'm trying to uh, remember the person's name. The, the person who gave first gave me the talk, gave me the importance of building a brand was someone from here in Knoxville. Uh, I can't remember his Twitter or his name, but it was a talk here in Knoxville, the Knox devs community. And this was right when I was really starting and he talked about the importance of building your brand. And I definitely think, you know, it's like you said, you know, your accomplishments don't follow you from company to company, but your brand does and who you are and that kind of stuff too. You know, your personal projects, your blogs and stuff like that. Like, you know, the gist that I, that I, I mean, you've probably seen my gist before, uh, for those who don't know, I have a gist of all, all the blogs I've created for a long period of time. And that follows me everywhere. You know, uh, that allows me, I think that's important to have things that follow you from company to, from company, to company that are, I guess, company agnostic. Yeah, perfect, perfect. And that, that's important, right? Like that's, you know, especially with that helping build a community or being standing out in a community or even standing out in a uh, huge pool of applicants uh, for any type of job. It's just that. Yeah. I, I like how you summarize that. Like your brand uh, follows, follows you around. Um, so let's talk about a little bit a, a different part of your background. So for, for those who don't know James, uh, well, James mentioned in the beginning uh, of the podcast that James is actually neurodiverse. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I, I'm very fortunate to talk to you. You're probably one of the first, uh, you actually are the first neurodiverse person uh, who's been on the podcast. 
And just for the listeners out there, let's say for those who are on either side of, of that um, pendulum, uh, let's, let's talk about how you, in the technology world, how can we get engaged with more neurodiverse people and how can we be engaging in your opinion? And then also how can folks who are neurodiverse, if they're aspiring to be technology, what are some first steps that they can take? Um, I think uh, it's very important for companies to embrace different minds. Uh, that is 100% the first step to attracting neurodiverse talent. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the podcast, you know, Temple Grandin. You know, I think it's important for anyone who, not even just in the tech world, for anyone who has someone who is autistic in their life, you know, a problem I see uh, with a lot of, you know, obviously me being autistic, I, I view people's interactions with autistic people differently. Um, and there's this trope, you know, a, a thing I see a lot with parents of autistic children and this is kind of venturing a little off that topic, but a thing I see is that parents of autistic children have this mentality that their kids are always going to, that their autistic children are always going to be children. And I think that that inherently is why parents need to see content by people who are on the spectrum, as opposed to, you know, hearing from people who are just friends or, you know, interacting with people who are autistic. And I think that looping back is why it's important for companies to talk to and hear from autistic minds or neurodiverse minds, not even just autistic. I mean, this, this relates to like DID, you know, bipolar, you know, any neurodiverse, you know, mental health issue. And I think it's important that um, companies hear from those people who are struggling with that, as opposed to just hearing like a doctor say this or something. Yeah, perfect. I mean, it's one thing to be empathetic, but also it's, it's, when building software or like building anything, it's uh, the more, I'd say, points of view that you get across or that you come across, it's, it makes things better uh, for the collective good. Um, as let, let's say that some folks, you know, there might be for some neurodiverse folks, if you're listening to the podcast, if they want to get technology for the first time, uh, what were some, uh, you mentioned that you did a lot of, a lot of uh, self-learning and a lot of online resources, but is there any other specific advice you might give someone who's starting out, you know, say in their, uh, to their technology journey? Advice I'd probably give to neurodiverse people is probably embrace, in, embracing your neurodiversity as I wouldn't say embracing it as part of your brain because not everyone is comfortable with that. So it's not the, that's not always the advice I would give. But, you know, I would say embrace your passions, you know, because one thing that really helped me was, you know, when I, I one thing about me is I hyperfixate a lot. You know, and that's one of my very positive traits of being neurodiverse. 
uh, is that, you know, I will hyper fixate on a task and I will not deviate until that task is done. And I guess on that topic is, is, is the answer to that question is uh, embrace the, your neurodiverse traits, you know, because there are a lot of people, I think a lot of people love to tell focus and focus on neurodiverse persons, negative traits, but never give credit to the positive traits. Yeah, and, that, and that's, I think that's uh, ex- excellent advice, right? Like anything, like, you know, embrace your strengths. Um, even if, if some people might view it as a weakness, it can, it's, it can be your strength, that how, how you learn. And that, you know, to your point, your, your ability to hyperfixate something gives you a lot more drive to come to a conclusion versus maybe someone like me who's like, yeah, I'll give up. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll try something else. Uh, kind of shifting you. Thank you so much for that. Very candid and very uh, personal, uh, personal stories and advice. Um, shifting gears now to storytelling. How do you tell a good story? So, so uh, James is a writer, L- like myself, a funny background. J- James used to work for a competitor. Uh, you know, actually, James and I would have been enemies um, if you, you know months ago, but we're not. We're buds, right? So uh, we can look past that. Uh, but how, how do you tell a good story, and, and why is storytelling so important to technology? I know this is a very abstract question, but you're, you're the right right guy to answer the question. Yeah. I think uh, telling a good story definitely, in, from the company perspective. Involves, you know, empathizing and getting yourself in the customer's shoes, and uh, I think it's important just because, I mean, if you don't have people don't understand hear hear your about your product from other customers' perspective, I mean, then it's all just marketing at that point. Yeah, and, and I think it's. The art of storytelling. You know, we're, I think we're, t- we're touching on. Uh, it's making something credible, right? It's one thing of one person saying it. It's completely the other thing of like multiple people are saying it. Like, oh, they might they might be on to something. You know, it's always as a human, you're a little bit skeptic. It's like, well, other humans said it, <laughs> not not just not just not just the system was was saying that. Um, let's see. If going back to, to your, your blogging days, how, what's the easiest way? So let's say someone is listening to this podcast and they've never blogged in their entire life. And, and it's something I picked up on a few years ago. Uh, but from, from another perspective, how does somebody in the technology world as an engineer start blogging if they want to start blogging? Um, that's a good question. And my- this is just my my stickler um, response because I see so much of this. Um, install the Grammarly Pro plugin. Yeah, my, my my boss definitely gave me that. He's like, "You're gonna get Grammarly." So for, for those of you who don't know what Grammarly is, uh, it's a it's a it's a tool. Uh, basically, not only does it check your spelling. It checks your usage and it checks are you following 
certain syntax rules or you're following following certain very complicated grammatical rules. <laughs> I, I like to put commas a lot of places that don't belong. So Grammarly will pick up on that. <laughs> so that, that's pretty uh, But cool. in like a more uh, direct, like a more practical advice, I'd say, uh, I think it's important that, you know, finding the right niche you know, finding the right platform niche or uh, being able to distribute and find your tone, find your voice and finding the voice that fits you. Uh, obviously, grammar is important, but so is, you know, finding the right tone that fits fits your voice and brand. Uh, and I think that that comes with time, but right? so you might not have it the first day. But yeah, would, would your advice be kind of stick at it if someone was starting out? Yeah, yeah just um, yeah, and, and yeah, just stick at it. You know, it might not look perfect right away, you know, but uh, I think my advice for that would be, you know, blog because it's something you're passionate about and because you're trying to develop something else, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, sometimes blogs can be self-serving. Sometimes you can be serving the public. So finding that right balance, right, it's yeah. a perfect blog. Cool, very cool. I, I have have one more question for you. Uh, and it's, it's an intrinsic question. And I always ask all the guests of the podcast kind of like the same question at the end of the podcast. So let's say, take it back 10 years ago, let's say, you were walking down the mean streets of Knoxville, Tennessee, and you ran into an 18-year-old version of yourself, right? And it was the current rendition of yourself. What would be any advice you would tell a younger James? Uh, it could be any set of advice that you would tell your younger self. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would probably tell myself, younger question of myself, to not overthink so much that everything was going to work itself out in time and that to just enjoy my youth a little bit more. Awesome. Yeah. Great, great, great advice. I think, uh, you know, youth, youth, once youth is gone, youth is gone. <laughs> it doesn't come back. Uh, so James, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really enjoyed your time here. I'm sure the listeners loved your insight onto many different aspects of tech and non-tech world. So yeah, James, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're welcome. It was, it was definitely a pleasure. Cheers, everybody.